Welcome to the Sport Manitoba podcast, hosted by Nolan Cole. Thanks for tuning into the first episode of the Sport Manitoba podcast. My name is Nolan Cole. I'm the digital media specialist here at Sport Manitoba. We're podcasting from our building, the Canada Games Sport for Life Centre in downtown Winnipeg. Our mission at Sport Manitoba is to support and plan sport programs to promote the development of vibrant citizens, athletes, and communities in Manitoba. We're also the main funding agency for amateur sport in the province with over 65 provincial sport organizations in our building. Every sport you can imagine, it likely falls under the Sport Manitoba banner, including some you have probably never heard of. Okay, super excited for this podcast. We're going to be talking to a range of guests, including some local high-profile athletes, some amateur athletes. We also have a fitness center, a high-performance center, sport medicine clinic, and a coaching resource center here in our building. We're hoping to touch on all of those areas as well. But our first guest is a name that's familiar to all Manitoba curling fans. Jill Officer was nice enough to sit down and chat with me. My conversation with the 2014 Olympic gold medalist is coming up after a quick look at some of our upcoming events. Sport Manitoba celebrates the achievements of our athletes, coaches, officials, and volunteers every year at our Night of Champions presented by Manitoba Chicken Producers. Join us at this year's event Saturday, April 13th at Club Region Casino and Event Centre to honour the best of the best. Nominate a deserving coach who's made an impact in your life for the Coaching Manitoba Impact Awards presented by Club Region Casino and Event Center. Nomination deadline is Friday, February 1st. Visit sportmanitoba.ca to nominate today. Team Manitoba is off to the 2019 Canada Games. After a best ever performance at the 2017 Canada Summer Games, the Winter Squad is ready to take on the best teams in the country in Red Deer, Alberta beginning February 15th. Follow the herd on social media at Team Toba on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for photos, results, medal standings, stories, and more. Well, Jill Officer is certainly one of the more decorated curlers in our province's history. She has an Olympic gold medal, two world championships, and six Canadian championships to her name. Of course, she announced last spring that she would be taking a step back from the competitive game to focus more on family. You can still find her working out in our performance center on occasion. Here's my conversation with Jill Officer. So Jill, first of all, thanks so much for doing this today. Happy to be here. I want to ask you a question kind of on the minds of probably a lot of curling fans around the country, and that is you've been away from the competitive grind now for a few months. It's your first season away from that. Do you miss it? How has it been? Uh, it's been different and it's been good and it's been hard and it's been uh, a little bit of everything, I think. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, I felt like I was supposed to be doing something. I was supposed to be out practicing. I felt like I was missing out on something. I felt like I was being left out. <laughs> uh, so it was kind of weird. And then I was quite, quite grateful that I wasn't um, doing all the curling early in the season. Uh, in October, I had an opportunity to go to uh, go to China with Team Jones and fill in for Don McEwen. So um, that was great. It kind of got a little bit of a fix. And uh, I've also played in a couple of mixed doubles events this year. So uh, it's just kind of enough to be around and to play a little bit and get my competitive fix. But it's not so much that I feel like I am uh, can't, you know, recover or a you know, don't have energy to do other things. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been challenging at times, but no regrets on the decision. 
for sure. Now, you're a seven-time provincial champ, six-time national champ, two-time world champ, Olympic gold medalist. You hear athletes say all the time, right? They're asked, you know, have you thought about how much you've won the records? And a lot of them say they don't think about that until after they're done playing. When their career's over, they kind of look back and reflect. So for you, you've had some time now away from the competitive grind. Have you looked back at all and reflected on, on just how much success and how much you did win? Yeah, and I think, truthfully, I probably did that a little bit last season, just knowing what was coming and knowing that I was going to likely be making the decision that I did. Um, so, yeah, even going into the Scotties last year, it was it was on my mind because I knew that winning the Scotties last year would tie um, the record with Colleen Jones, uh, both me and Jennifer tying that record. So it was kind of on my mind, I think, at that point that it would be a really good way and cool way to go out. So that worked out, obviously. Um, and yeah, I guess I have reflected a little bit. And it, it's, you know, I think sometimes other people say things to me that it makes it register more, um, you know, like people calling me like a vet, you know, or a legend or and I just that doesn't register. Like, I don't think of myself that way. So uh, when other people say it, then I, I kind of think, oh, yeah, you know, wow, I, you know, I'm so grateful for all the success that that we've had. And, um, you know, if you had asked me 15 or 20 years ago, if I'd be sitting here with that resume, I, I can't say that I ever, ever would have thought that. Like, obviously, we wanted to win the Scotties and we wanted to go to the Olympics and hopefully win the gold medal. But to win six Scotties, like, you know, that's pretty that's pretty crazy. And, and I'm pretty thankful for that. For sure. But so you, you did think about it a little bit when you were still playing last year. Yeah, just right. just because I knew I knew that, that it was coming to the end. I, you know, the summer before that that last season of the quadrennial, I even said to the girls, you know, like I, 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 I'm not likely going to play another quadrennial. Um, this is just, you know, it's just getting yeah. to be too much for me. I'm not. I'm not able to recover as quickly and I just needed a break probably more than anything. So um, they knew it was coming too. And then, you know, we had, before we even went to the Scotties, the decision had kind of been finalized and, you know, Jocelyn was going to be the the player that was going to be the, the new player on the team. So we didn't make the announcement until after the Scotties and after we'd won, but obviously going into the Scotties, we all knew this situation and it was certainly something I'd thought about, uh, you know, trying to tie Colleen's record. So <laughs> right on, right. it was good. We'll talk a little bit about uh, Jocelyn and, and the current team a little later, but I want to take you back kind of to the beginning of your career, maybe when you were a junior. Was there a moment where you realized that, hey, I'm good at this. I really enjoy this sport. I want to see how far I can go with it. Was there something that triggered that for you or a particular moment? There was probably a couple of, of things, like a, maybe almost a sequence of events to, to some degree. When when I was curling in juniors, um, curling wasn't even an official Olympic sport. Uh, that didn't happen until 1998, and I was done juniors by then. So uh, I guess the first time that I thought maybe I could go a little further with it was when I was 16 and Jennifer Jones came up to me and at, you know, the old Highlander Curling Club and asked me if I wanted to, to curl with her and she had already won a provincial junior championship and had some success. So I was a little bit starstruck by the opportunity and she obviously saw some potential in me uh, that maybe I didn't see in myself at the time. 
So uh, we, you know, we got together and we won a couple of junior, provincial juniors and a Canadian junior championship in 1994. And when we won that Canadian junior championship in 1994, it gave us the opportunity to play in a couple of women's events the following year. And that was in the peak of the Sandra Schmirler era. So they were playing in these women's events as well. Um, We went and played in, we played in a major women's event here in Winnipeg. And we also played in one in Thunder Bay. The one in Thunder Bay, we actually came up against Sandra's team in the semifinal and we beat them. And I remember uh, at the time, of course, it was pre-cell phones and stuff like that. So I actually uh, went into the office at the curling club in Thunder Bay and phoned home collect to tell my parents that we just beat Sandra Schmirler. (laughs) (laughs) It was so awesome. Like, I I just remember how thrilled we were, uh, you know, and we ended up going on to win the Bonspiel and then... A few months later, we actually traveled to Bern, Switzerland. It was our first time going overseas, but Sandra Schmiller's team was also playing in the event in, in Bern. And they, they kind of took us under their wing and they, you know, made sure that we were being safe and that we were carrying our money close to ourselves and they were giving us directions to things. And then um, they actually invited us to go for dinner um, while we were there. So we spent some time with them and they were... They were really great to us. So when they went on to win the Olympic gold medal four years later, yeah, three years later, I guess, um, that's when I kind of thought, okay, now that this is an official Olympic sport and I got to know them and they're just like regular women who have kids and jobs and, you know, that kind of thing. And I I don't know, it was just a connection to them that made me think that maybe something was possible. And you looked up to that team. Absolutely. Yeah. They were, you know, them and Connie Laliberty, like they were the best women's team. Well, and, and Colleen Jones was always around too, but you know, Sandra was Sandra and her team were winning a lot and Connie and her team were winning a lot and Connie's team was from right here in Winnipeg. So we saw them around a lot, obviously, and we did play against them and I remember beating them once as well. So uh, yeah, those little things kind of led, I think, me anyways, uh, to believe that maybe we had something and that uh, somewhere down the line we would, you know, have an opportunity to, whether it was play at the Scotties or, you know, hopefully try to go to the Olympics. Like it seemed so far away at that time, right? But, um, and then ultimately I actually took some time off from curling to go to school. So it was a few years before I actually got back with Jennifer and we kind of started making a real push. So, other than Sandra Schmirler and that team, did you have anyone else you kind of looked up to, whether it would be a family member or a teammate that really helped you get to that next level in sports? Well, yeah, we had a really good coach um, in juniors, um, Lyle Hudson, and he did a lot to really develop our game early on. I remember how much he taught me about sweeping and um, how to be a strong physical sweeper. So I always remember the impact that he had. And, and truthfully, I think over my career, one of the biggest impacts has been Jennifer, um, both early on and, and in more recent years. Uh, you know, she, she's just someone who is very determined, very passionate, um, thinks outside the box, is always trying to get better. And that ultimately transfers to teammates. And I was a teammate for 23 years. So ultimately, I'm going to pick up something from her and, you know, she for sure was a, a great impact in trying to make me better as well. You were a part of our sport leadership conference last October in Winkler. It was a few months ago. Right. Uh, and that's kind of all about inspiring that next generation of athletes, right? You're also involved with the RBC Olympian program. 
Why is that work so important to you? And what, what kind of advice are you trying to pass along? Well, I think, um, you know, there's a lot that I've learned over the years. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I try to pass on is how important it is to be yourself uh, and stay true to yourself through all the the challenges, through all the hard times, but also through all of the, the good times and the successful um, wins and championships. Uh, you know, I think that that's something that has even in more recent years become incredibly important to me. So I try to, you know, uh, pass that on to others that it's important to be authentic, it's important to be true to yourself um, and to believe in yourself and, you know, trust in your abilities, but also to put the time and the effort in and to put the work in, like uh, the practice and whatever else, right? Um, and I think it's just important to do that because, you know, when I, you know, as I said, in, in terms of uh, when I was younger and people like Sandra Schmerler and Connie Laliberti and their teams that were that were around us or, um, you know, I remember when I worked at the TV station in Brandon years ago, I had the opportunity to interview Katrina LeMay-Done and just those little moments really inspired me and I'm still talking about them 20 years later. Um, but... And so I guess I'm just thinking that maybe I could be that person to somebody else. Uh, you know, even if I just impact one person, that maybe it gives them a different um, path or gives them a different motivation for things in their own life. So, um, you know, I, I guess it to some degree comes naturally to me to, um, you know, to pass on the, those kinds of things. And then other times it can be quite difficult to do it. So, but yeah, I've been part of the RBC Olympians program for 10 years now, and that's essentially being a community ambassador for RBC. So we do a lot of stuff in the community um, in regards to things that they're involved in. Uh, so it could be talking to schools, it could be, uh, you know, doing keynote speeches. There's a whole variety of things that I've done over the years, and that's been a, a, a great opportunity to be out in the community. You mentioned it can be difficult at, at some points. Can, can you give me an example? Like, is it harder at certain times than other with dealing with certain people or? Yeah, no, it's not even about dealing with certain people. It's probably about dealing with myself. Okay. <laughs> and sometimes there's, there's periods of time in your own life where maybe it's more challenging or you're having a more difficult time, but you have a keynote speech scheduled in there. And so I find those times actually quite difficult to, to get up and try to talk and try to inspire when maybe I'm kind of dealing with my own challenges or my own things in those moments. And I'm supposed to be the one that has it all together when really I don't. Okay. So I f sometimes find those times challenging and difficult to get up and, and talk to a group of people and try to inspire them when I'm not feeling inspired. <laughs> For sure. Is it also just the fact that, you know, you were in their shoes at one point? Like, do you see yourself in some of these girls you talk to does that make it easier for you try to try to be that mentor to try to give that advice when w when I talk to young girls or young kids or I go to schools definitely that's when I see it uh the most and I and I always talk about how when I did start curling with Jennifer Jones the very first year that we were together we lost the provincial junior final and I had never even played in provincials at that point so I didn't know how to deal with a major loss like that and I was devastated like I I was so emotional and I was so upset and I just moped around for a good week if not more but ultimately you know I talk about how we 
you know, got back on the ice. We started practicing, you know, we practiced more, we worked harder. And then next year we ended up winning the provincials. But when we went to the nationals, we lost in a tiebreaker. And again, just still learning how to deal with those major losses, um, you know, still kind of went through the process of the emotions and moping around and, and stuff like that. And I think that that's a natural, I think it's a natural process when you lose something. Like I remember one of our sports psychologists, the great Dr. Cal Botterill, you know, said that there's always a grieving process with that. And you don't really think about it because it's not like you're grieving a death, but you are grieving something that you wanted, right? And that was important to you. So it took me a, a little bit to learn how to really go through that, that process and to recognize that it was okay to go through that process, but that ultimately you come back and you work harder and and you, um, you know, uh, try to get better at the things that you need to work on. And then the next year, in 1994, we ended up winning the Provincials again. And then we won the Canadian Juniors. And, you know, so I kind of talk about that to, you know, young kids and, and, and stuff to s sort of show them what they can do. And that, uh, you know, you just kind of have to go through that process and learn from it and then move on. But that it's also important to rely on your support group like I, I like to talk about support as well and how important that is because I think that when I look back at some of the more challenging times in my career I definitely think about you know how supportive my teammates were or my family or or whatever it is whoever your people are right you mentioned like losing and, and recovering from that did you find that it was really tough tougher to do that early in your career and did you get better at dealing with those those obviously you guys won a ton but did you get better at kind of dealing with the, the setbacks as you got older, do you feel? Um, I guess they just became different. Uh, you know, like, I don't know. I guess I, I guess you, I guess I got better at dealing with them, but I still, I was still emotional and uh, going through that grieving process, right? Like, it wasn't like I walked off the ice and thought, oh, well. <laughs> you know, we lost. Yeah. Like, that's, n that's never how it was. And I, and, you know, it, it was with the time and effort that we put into curling and the love that we have for the game, you know, to walk off the ice and just go, oh, well, didn't, didn't seem right to me anyways. But even the trials last year when we lost in the semifinal, like I walked off the ice with tears in my eyes because, well, one, I knew it was my last one. But, you know, two, it was like we wanted badly to go back to the Olympics and try to defend our Olympic gold medal. So uh, it was still a very upsetting and emotional time to lose that you know to lose those trials or to lose that semifinals. so but at the same time I also knew the importance of going through the process whereas maybe when I was in juniors I'm not sure that I knew how important it was to go through the process and I didn't necessarily recognize that I was going through that at the time I was just dealing with it the best I knew how whereas now it's it's like I know I have to go through that process I have to shed the tears I have to have the emotions I have to talk about it and then ultimately I know that I'm going to get to a place where I'll be ready to step back on the ice whereas in juniors I'm not sure in those moments that I felt that way people see the success on tv right they see the olympic gold medal they see the multiple scotties wins but they don't see necessarily see the sacrifices that go in behind the scenes, right? So the hours in the gym, uh, the weekends away from your family when you're on the road all season. How tough was that? Yeah, it was it was really hard, and I think it got harder as I got older because I got married and I had a child. Um, and as much as you know, she doesn't seem to resent the fact that I've gone away curling a lot in her young life. She 
um you know i felt bad because this year with not curling was the first christmas concert that i'd been to uh and you know a couple other little things like that that i missed out on before and uh yeah so those are the kinds of things you know like whether it's and for the first two or three years i don't even know if i was home for her birthday so uh you know i always told myself that she wouldn't remember at that age but <laughs> you know uh yeah and so like you sacrifice especially once you have the kids you're sacrificing things like that and you know I talk about how I hadn't been home for Thanksgiving dinner for 15 or 20 years because we were always curling at the the autumn gold in Calgary on Thanksgiving weekend and uh so yeah there were certainly sacrifices with family time and sacrifices with friends you know I know I have a a couple of really good close friends that always knew that come September they wouldn't see me again probably until April uh you know we might have some communication and stuff in that time but they're also my friends because they understand that and and I've curled for all these years um but now they're like they're still my friends because they understand what my job was and what my choices were and they respected that so um, but there was definitely a lot of sacrifice for time with friends, time with family, um, various things like that. And did you know that that's what, like early in your career, when you were really, you know, in junior maybe, and you, you wanted to go for it and you wanted to pursue it further, did you know that those sacrifices, like, did you know how big of a commitment it was or did it kind of grow on you as you continued on? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, if you look back to when I was in juniors, like curling has come a long way since then. And when I was in juniors, we didn't do things in the gym. We didn't have a sports psychologist. We didn't have a nutritionist. We just went and practiced and curled. That's all we did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then even in the first few years of women's, it was kind of like that. And and then because the Olympic or because curling became an official sport in 98, uh, that was kind of when things started to change, but that was also a time when I left curling from uh, uh, full time and I went to college and then I moved out to Brandon and I worked at the TV station for a couple of years. So I curled with, you know, teams out there, Linda Van Dale, Lois Fowler, before I got back together with Jennifer. But, um, when we got back together and we played with Karen Fallis and, uh, Karen and Lynn Fallis, uh, and then, you know, in the 0405 season was when we won the Scotties with Kathy Goche and Kathy Overton. And that was when resources really started to pour in. And we really started to realize what our commitment level was going to have to be in order to kind of keep up with everybody and to actually make that push to go to the Olympics. So it was kind of at that time that I realized how big of a commitment this was going to be if we wanted to go to the Olympics. And I actually stopped working full time because I was finding it quite difficult to balance and juggle, uh, you know, going to the gym with a trainer, going to practice every day, um, sometimes having to go to physio and to do that all, you know, while working full time, I found quite difficult. So I had to kind of figure out what was going to work for me. And that meant uh, stepping away from full time position, because I felt like there was enough opportunity in curling at that point that I could do it. We're going to take a break in just a minute, Jill, but I did want to ask you about Bob Pickin. Uh, yes. Of course, the legendary curling uh, broadcaster in Manitoba for a long time. Um, of course, the news coming out over the weekend that, that he's battling cancer. But as somebody who kind of played during that era, um, what uh, what do you have to say about him? What kind of legacy do you think he's, he's going to leave behind? Oh, I mean, yeah, I don't even know if I could describe what his legacy yeah. is. But I, you know, I remember uh, always listening to his uh, curling 
uh, sports cast at 25 past the hour on CJOB and hoping that he would say my name or my team's name or uh, different things like that. And it was just the booming voice. And, uh, you know, anytime you walked into a curling club, if Bob was there and he started talking, you could hear him from a mile away. <laughs> and uh, he's just had such a great impact on on the sport particularly here in Winnipeg and Manitoba. But I mean, I know across the country, there's a lot of curlers that are, you know, quite familiar with Bob Pickin and, and the voice and the impact uh, that he's had on the game. So, um, you know, I just wish him and his family all the best in, in the remaining time and uh, thank him incredibly for everything that he's done for, for curling over the years. Jill Officer is our guest on the Sport Manitoba podcast. We're going to take a short break for a look at some of our upcoming events and services. I'll be back for the second half of our discussion right after this. Take a trip through sport history dating all the way back to the early 1800s at the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. Learn about the athletes, builders, and volunteers who've made their mark on local, national, and international stages, representing our great province as the best in their sport. Visit the gallery Tuesday through Saturday at 145 Pacific Avenue. Want to work in sport? Sport Manitoba's job board has the most up-to-date postings available to Manitobans. Everything from managers and directors to golf professionals. Check it out at sportmanitoba.ca. Join us at the Winnipeg Whiskey Festival March 1st and 2nd, presented by Manitoba Liquor Marts. At this fundraiser for the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame, you'll enjoy a gourmet buffet and over 160 whiskeys, along with some cognac and other spirits to sample. Attend a mixology session or upgrade to a VIP ticket for early access and a VIP seminar. Tickets available at manitobahalloffame.ca. So Jill, I want to switch gears here a little bit and talk about Maybe the state of the sport in Manitoba right now, getting younger players involved at the grassroots level. How are we doing and what do you think that the challenges are with that right now? Well, interesting. Uh, the, you know, free to ask me that. I, I think it's, um, it's almost hard for me to talk a little bit about that because I don't truly know the state of the junior you know, world. I mean, I, I teach at Reed Crothers Curling Camp the last couple of years and I see a lot of great potential there. Um, and I know some of them were competing in the provincial juniors recently. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not as connected to the junior world as I once was. Uh, I'm a little far removed from it. And my niece and nephew who I used to watch in juniors are no longer in juniors either. So, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes I hear things like, uh, you know, they had to add an extra league at a certain club. But then at the same time, I hear other clubs are struggling to get it to get you know, kids out to play. So, and the only thing is too, that I, that I see happening is that there's, um, there's a greater, um, level of skill difference now, I think between juniors and making the jump to men's and women's, I think it's a, it's a greater jump than it was at one time. And so I think that's actually the I think that's actually the area that we're losing people. It's maybe not even so much in juniors, but it's when they're done juniors, they start focusing on um, university if they're not already in university or college or schooling, or they start to work full time because they feel like they need to get that settled before they can go and, and curl uh, competitively. So we sometimes lose people in there and, and don't get them to come back. Whereas a lot of other sports, you see them focusing on their um, they're like their sporting career first while plugging away at their school or, or that kind of thing. But in curling, you just almost can't do that because we have such a great depth of 
curlers in Canada that there's not enough funding to cover everybody. Whereas in some of the other sports, like maybe bobsleigh or skiing or stuff, you might have eight or 10 top athletes, whereas we have eight or 10 top teams yeah. and you can't, you just can't fund everybody. So I feel like we're, lo- that's where kind of we're losing people. And I'm not sure what the answer is, but I think there's a, um, you know, a lot of great people like Connie Laliberty and Guy Beaudry in Winnipeg that are, are helping to uh, keep those junior programs going, but we're kind of losing them after that a little bit. And the game has become more professionalized, right? So there's, there are professional curlers now in Europe and some in Canada, right? So it, is that the direction it's going? Like, in, 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 if you do want to achieve your goals and, and, and have success, do you need to become a pro? And is, is, the, is, is the sport now, is it kind of set up for people to become professionals, and it, it, curling being their job? Yeah, I, I still actually don't think that 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 is the case. Okay. I, um, you know, and I mean, we're we're not professional in the sense that we're guaranteed an income, right? right. Like, uh, you know, it depends on the team, how much sponsorship you have, how much you're traveling, and then how much you win. Um, you know, and whether there's money at the end of the season for that, you know, can you know, we're seeing it a little bit more now for sure, but it's still only the top very small handful of teams that are seeing any sort of maybe minor profit, but it's certainly not something that you can rely on. I think we're seeing it more so with the teams that are playing out of Europe and stuff where they are getting funded on a regular basis and that is their full-time job. You know, people like Eve Muirhead, uh, uh, Nicholas Adine, Anna Hasselberg, like those kind of teams out of Sweden and Scotland and some of the Swiss teams, maybe even they're getting that funding, but but they're the only team that's getting funding. Whereas in Canada, like I said, we have that great depth. And so we, as much as we're getting funding from Sport Canada and Own the Podium and those kinds of things, it's still not, you know, it gets spread a little bit thinner for us because we have such great uh, talent in Canada, which is a good thing. It just means that our funding gets spread a little thinner. So I do think that it is going the way of trying to be professional. I know um, Roger Sportsnet owning the Grand Slams now, that's sort of where they would like to go is to ultimately have some professional curlers that it is more of a guaranteed income, but I don't know how exactly they see that happening. Um, and whether or not those players still play against everybody else who's not professional, I, I'm not totally sure. But I, I certainly think that it's starting to make a greater push for that. So the full-time thing you think is still more of a kind of a thing in Europe more so than it is in Canada. We're not quite there yet. For sure. I mean, there's there's a few people maybe in Canada that uh, have things kind of sorted out financially that they can uh, figure out, they can work when they are home. But, uh, you know, maybe they own a business and uh, they have someone managing their business for them so they can work when they are at home and they can take care of some things on the road, but uh, they still need to sort of have that income. Um, So I think more and more curlers are trying to find uh, a way to have an income while being able to compete full time because the demands of competing full time are greater and greater all the time. But it certainly is hard to find that balance and, and there's still plenty of curlers out there that are working full-time jobs because that's their guaranteed income. It's all about the Olympics now, right? The four-year cycle with kind of more money and more sponsors. Now the traditional provincial, you know, win your province, go to the nationals with your province's colors, go to the worlds. Do you think that will always be a part of the game or will that eventually be gone? And will it focus more on the Olympics and the grand slams? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, 
I think for the for the near future, I think it'll stay that way. There, there's a lot of great pride for uh, teams trying to represent their province and ultimately go on to win the Scotties or the Briar. There's still a great amount of pride in that. Um, how you balance that with the uh, you know the the Grand Slams and that side of the tour uh, in the future, I don't I don't know. Um, and you know we're still seeing. Um, you know, at the Scotties and the Briar, you don't always have your top six or eight teams in the country playing for your national championship. You might only have two or three, and then you have, you know, those other ones that play a little bit on the tour, or they play a little bit in, in their area on the tour, but they're number 40 on the list, but yet they are playing at the national championship, and your number eight ranked team is not. So there's, I know that there's talk about that and how you can have a national championship that actually represents the top teams in in the country. Um, but it's hard to find that balance because of the tradition and prestige of the Scotties and the Briar and the way that it's always worked. So again, I don't have an answer for that. Yeah. I just know that you know when you look at most other national championships in a lot of other sports, it's not based on geography. It's actually based on your top performers um whereas in curling we're not seeing that at this point so um you know how that changes i'm not sure but i I think we're going to see a lot of change with those types of things and the professional side of things over the next eight to ten years would you like to see it stay that traditional path um I, I don't know. It, I, I would be really torn about it because obviously I've had great success at the Scotties and and am very proud of that. Um, and the Scotties is one of the most prestigious um, amateur uh, event, uh, amateur sporting events for women in all of Canada, if not if not the world. So we're very fortunate in in that, and I'm very fortunate to have played in a number of them. So it would be hard for me to let go of that tradition. But at the same time, you know, sometimes you have to change with things as as things grow and change. And and I'm not sure if uh, if that's the answer anymore. Let's talk a little bit about your, I'm still going to call them your current team because you're still very involved with them, right? <laughs> team Jones. Yeah. Uh, how has the season been for them? I know they won the Canada Cup in December from your vantage point, how are they doing? And how has Jocelyn Peterman fit in? Jocelyn's been fitting in great. Um, I had the opportunity to spend some time with her and to play with her when we went to China in October. So it was great to have that opportunity to get to know her a little bit. We roomed together, um, you know, so we had some really good sort of chats and conversations. And I think she was, you know, trying to find her way with the team and what her role was going to be. And, uh, and I think that she's you know, done a really good job of figuring that out. And I know that, you know, anytime you change one player on a team, especially one that was so well established, there takes some time to figure things out and to figure out your communication and sort of what works and how you can support that that person as well as how Jocelyn can support the rest of the girls. So, uh, you know, it took them maybe, I mean, they, they were still doing really well on the tour, but it took them a, a couple of months to sort of win in a, a major event. But, um, you know, a lot of teams will take longer than that to to kind of come around to that point. So Jocelyn's fitting in great. And, you know, I know the girls are continuously working to figure out how they can be better and, and make them make themselves better. And I think they're, you know, probably in a really good position going into the Scotties next month. And you'll be at the Scotties with them in Sydney, Nova Scotia yes. uh, next month. Your role is a fifth and like an alternate, right? 
what is your role primarily? Is it motivation? Is it strategy? Is it coaching? How do you kind of see that playing out? Well, I think it's different for every team. Thankfully, I know my team pretty well. (laughs) So I have a bit of an idea of, you know, what will be expected from me. But I I also did ask them to make sure that they defined my role for me. Um, Because I've been so involved in the team in the past, I don't, I want to make sure that I'm not... uh, you know, crossing the line in any sort of way, uh, like doing something that maybe I used to do that's not really my job anymore. So uh, I know that we'll kind of figure that out in the next few weeks to see exactly how they want me to support them. But I think it's just a lot of times taking care of the little things, um, you know, um, making sure that they know where they have to be at what time and making sure they know what rock color they are and making sure their brooms are ready to go and their broom heads are clean. Uh, and then, you know, practicing at nighttime when there's practice ice so that I can match rocks for them um, and various things like that. And I, I'm sure there'll be other things, you know, obviously um, like they have uh, Victor Shell uh, as a coach for them this year. And uh, Victor used to be part of the Swedish national team when he, he used to play with Nicholas Adin. So he has a lot of experience, but he's living in Canada now so he's coaching them this year and I'll have to work closely with him and we'll you know scout rocks and scout teams and you know there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on behind the scenes so um you know we'll have that all figured out pretty well in the next few weeks but those are some of the things I see myself doing for them if they were to win the Scotties next month that would be seven Canadian championships for Jennifer Jones it would be a record as you know it would put her past Colleen Jones and yourself for the for the most all time I imagine she's not thinking about that at all, or maybe she is, you could tell me, but have you thought about what that would mean to not only her, but for women's curling as a whole? Uh, I don't know if I've thought about it quite that way, actually. Um, you know, I thought a little bit about the fact that, uh, you know, thankful I'm I'm still, you know, fifth player, because I guess I could still claim that record to some degree. Oh, that's my story, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Um, but obviously it's, you know, it's a little bit different still, but, uh, I don't know if Jennifer would be thinking about it quite at this point, you know, like they're, they're curling in a grand slam right now and have a couple of other things going on before then. And, and I think for Jennifer, you know, I don't hear her talk about records a whole lot. Like I, I just, she just wants to get better. She just loves to play. She loves to be out on the ice and, and she's just likes to go out and make big shots and, uh, try to improve every game. So, uh, I think that it'll just be about going there and doing what we've always sort of done, which is uh, enjoying the experience of the Scotties and trying to get better with each game and hope that you're there at the end of the week. Well, best of luck at the Scotties next month in Thanks. February. What's next for Jill Officer? I know you have a broadcasting background. You mentioned it earlier, going back to the early 2000s in Brandon, right? Yes. CKX TV. But you've also done some more recent work with CBC Sports as well. Is that kind of an area you want to delve into further, not only as an interest, but kind of a way to stay involved with the sport? Well, it was certainly something uh, at this point that I was very grateful for the opportunity to stay connected to the sport. And it was it was a way that I could do that. So, yeah, I've become an analyst on uh, CBC Sports for their curling broadcasts, which is uh, four of the seven Grand Slams. We cover the women's quarterfinal and the men's final. So it's been a it's been a an interesting sort of learning curve like I I'm I love being around the game I love being on the tour and seeing my friends and and seeing all the people that I've spent so much time with over the years 
it's a little bit different sitting up in the booth and now twice have had to commentate on Team Jones, which is very tricky because uh-huh. I am trying to respect the things that we've done as a team and that we've worked on. Um, but also trying to give some insight. (laughs) So that's been a little bit tricky. So it's been a bit of a learning curve, but I'm I'm certainly grateful for it, you know, at this point. And, um, you know, where I see myself in five or 10 years, I'm not really sure. Uh, And yeah, I'm just happy to kind of be around and connected to the game. And I was actually elected to the Athlete Commission for the World Curling Federation over the summer as well. So that's keeping me connected um, as well. I went to the WCF Congress in Budapest in September, and we had some Athlete Commission meetings at the European Championships that were held in Tallinn, Estonia in November. So uh, I've been connected to players through that as well, which was one of my goals uh, after you know stepping away from the team that I wanted to stay connected to the game. So these are a couple of things that are keeping me connected at this point. It does sound like you're still pretty busy with, with the sport and everything you just described, but have you had time to take up any new hobbies or maybe take some <laughs> vacations or just more family time in the meantime since you kind of took a step back? Yeah, a little bit of family time and uh, yeah, a little bit of family, uh, a little bit of extra family time, I suppose. And then um, uh, I took a hip hop dance class over the summer. There you go. <laughs> Something I've always wanted to do, and it was incredibly difficult. Um, and yeah, so I haven't really found my way yet. I still, you know, they, uh, there's, you know, you read about athletes being in transition and athletes, you know, trying to find their way after leaving their their sport and not competing at that level anymore and I'm certainly in that place like I think I'm doing pretty good and I'm connected to the game and taking time away and trying to figure out what it is they want to do um, whether it's broadcasting or coaching or uh, going back to school there's a whole variety of things that I'm sort of looking into but I'm certainly still very much in in transition to whatever the future holds. <laughs> Well, Jill, that was a great discussion. Just before we wrap up, anything you wanted to plug in terms of upcoming events or community stuff you're involved in here in the near future in Winnipeg or elsewhere in Canada? Um, Nothing specific uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. Just, um, you know, again, I always like to give a plug to my my people at RBC and thank them greatly for keeping me on the RBC Olympians program for for 10 years. And um, yeah, just looking forward to what the future has to hold for me. Well, it's been a pleasure watching you over the years. Congrats on all the contributions to the sport, not only here in Manitoba, but across the country and all the best in the future. Thank you. Thanks again to Jill Officer for being our first guest on the Sport Manitoba podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast. It's available pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also listen on our website, sportmanitoba.ca. Well, the Canada Winter Games in Red Deer are right around the corner, and we're going to be talking to some Team Manitoba athletes who will be wearing our uniforms in February. That'll be on our next episode. Keep an eye out for it in early February. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Sport Manitoba on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you know of somebody who you think would make a good guest on our show, you can certainly email me at nolan.cole at sportmanitoba.ca. That's N-O-L-A-N dot K-O-W-A-L at sportmanitoba.ca. Thanks for listening. I'm Nolan Cole. We'll talk to you next time on the Sport Manitoba podcast.